Welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast. My name is James and I'm the pastor here at Sar Fellowship in the Kingdom of Bahrain. And we are walking through God's Word one chapter a week. And today we get to Exodus chapter 31. As we say almost every week, if you've not read Exodus 31, if you've not read this week's chapter in the recent past, if you've got no idea what it's about, go ahead, press pause, read it, and then we'll come back together as we seek to know and grow in God's Word. So Exodus 31 is not the longest chapter in the Bible by any means, but there are still a couple of things that are very, very interesting and very, very applicable to us as well. So Exodus 31 begins, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And as we move through the Old Testament in particular, we're going to see that this is one of the major roles, something that we often see the Holy Spirit doing in the Old Testament. We know, don't we, that on the day of Pentecost, it read about in Acts, that the Holy Spirit descended and then permanently indwells uh, God's people. And Jesus talked about, I'm going to go, but I'm going to send another one just like me. Uh, in the Old Testament, we often see the Holy Spirit empowering people, resting on people for a very particular purpose and a very particular time. So here we've got these two guys, Bezalel and Aholiab, and they're given special ability for a special task for a very specific time. And not, it's not just these two. Uh, we read... The end of verse 6, I've given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commended you. And then there's this big list of all the stuff that's going to be made, everything that we've talked about these last few weeks. Uh, the tent of meeting, the ark of the testimony, the mercy seat, the furnishings, the table, utensils, the lampstand, everything that we've talked about in the last few weeks is going to be made. It's well beyond what these people would normally have made. And the, the, the quality and the standard needs to be above and beyond what they would normally make. We've said, didn't we, that this stuff's going to be holy and separate and sanctified and it's going to increase people's awe and reverence for God. So it needs to be, you know, it needs to be pretty good. And so the Holy Spirit comes. I filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and craftsmanship for these particular tasks at this particular time. And it's very, um, I was going to say reminiscent, but it's not reminiscent because this comes first. This is very much pointing towards the fulfillment that we see when uh, Paul writes to the Colossians, says, look, whatever you're doing, do it for the glory of God. So these guys are given specific ability for a specific task, for a specific reason, and we're so fortunate now that the same Holy Spirit that comes and rests on people in the Old Testament to allow them to, to you know, push down a building with their bare hands like Samson or to hear craft things of amazing quality and beauty, that same Holy Spirit now indwells us as believers now. 
The rest of the chapter, verse 12 to the end, is talking about Sabbaths. And we read, The Lord said uh, to Moses, You are to speak to the people of Israel and say, Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between you and me throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. Uh, we get a justification for this. We get you know, look, um, in verse 17, it's a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. Very, very simply, rest and reverential rest, sanctifying rest, is a good thing. God's work in our lives should always be greater than our work in our lives. You know, what God has done for us should always be bigger and more important and more beautiful in our lives than what we are doing for God. Now, that's not to, to downplay the ministry that you have and the people that you serve and the things that you do for God's glory and for the good of his people. What's going on here in Exodus is the principle is that, look, God's work in your life should always be bigger, better, grander, and greater than what we're doing for God. And one really helpful way to understand this principle, uh, so I read recently, is to think about the sun and the moon. The difference between what, what God in Jesus, what Jesus has done for us and what we do for him, is like the difference between the sun and the moon. And the sun is unbelievably bigger, greater, and grander than the moon, isn't it? Nobody would dispute that. But if the moon is in exactly the right place, or in the wrong place as it may be, it's possible for the moon to eclipse the sun. You know, if, you, if, if things line up exactly and you stand in the right place and look at the right time, you can't see the sun because of the moon. And this explanation went on to say, look, you know, some Christians live in a constant state of total eclipse. They're always looking at what they are doing and they constantly and continually lose sight of what Jesus did for them. And what they are doing seems so much more important to them than what Jesus did for them. So that's one of the principles behind this idea that, look, you're going to keep a Sabbath. It's going to sanctify you. And it's such an important thing. Everyone who profanes it should be put to death, we read in verse 14. It's a day of rest. It's a day to really rest in the truth that what God has done for you is so much bigger and more beautiful and grander and greater than what you're doing. And then the chapter ends in verse 18. We read, uh, He... The Lord, he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Now, it's been quite easy to forget, hasn't it, the context of what's going on here. We're now at the end of chapter 31, all the way back weeks ago. In chapter 24, we read, Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered the mountain, the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. 
And Moses was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And then in chapter 25, the Lord said to Moses, this epic deliverance of instructions began all those weeks ago. So it's easy to forget. It's been very easy to forget that this whole time, the last five, six, seven, eight weeks that we've been talking about what's going on and how things are going to be, these regulations for worship, the priests, the fir- all that stuff has happened whilst Moses was up on Mount Sinai communing and communicating with God. One last thing from chapter 31. At the very, very end, we see that this is written in stone. They're written on tablets of stone. These are then placed in the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, we often say that something can't be changed because it's written in stone. Or, you know, if, if people want to change something, they'll say, well, you know, it's not like it's written in stone. And there is so much of our language and our culture and our... Just the way that we think and talk and do things that comes back to the Bible that so many people just don't realize. So for me, that's just a really, just a a small thing, but a very interesting thing at the end. This was written in stone and therefore it's, it's pretty binding. These tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Next week then, we will get into Exodus chapter 32 and things take a turn for the serious as we talk about the golden calf. But until then, God bless. Mm